We're an organization that preaches accountability, and in my position, I don't view myself as any different. In fact, I believe I have to be held the most accountable. Uh, with that said, I fully expect to be judged on the full body of my work over the five-year term of my contract, and I have zero issue with being evaluated over the uh, entire body uh, of work here. Another leaf season. Another year of wondering what the future holds for Kyle Dubas and the Toronto Maple Leafs. That was Dubas yesterday at his media availability. A lot of talk, a lot of hand-wringing over lame duck GM. Um, he went on to say, by the way, in that quote at the end of that, about how any, and I'm paraphrasing here, but that anybody who knows him knows he's going to work as hard as possible for the Toronto Maple Leafs, not just in the near future, but in making sure that he secures as best of a future for the Toronto Maple Leafs as possible. I believe Kyle Dubas, and I think that everyone should believe Kyle Dubas when he says that. And so what I want to talk to our guest today about is the nature of the relationship between this general manager and the ownership group and Brendan Shanahan and how they're all perceiving this. Because it's one thing to say it to the media. And I do believe that a guy is going to do the best job he can. But sometimes in these situations, you don't have, when you don't have the full backing of an organization, you're, you're not able, you don't have the latitude to do the same amount of things that you want. How does this work when it comes to future negotiations for other players? There's a certain guy, you know, that might've seen the McKinnon money and thought about how much he's going to make more than that. Um, our guest today is just a traveling man. He's just, he's just everywhere, man. Um, Vegas, living large, doing the 32 Thoughts podcast on the road. Um, you can go to 32tour.com, by the way, um, if you want to get tickets. A couple of the locations are sold out. Seven stops for Elliot Friedman. Um, how you doing, man? I'm doing well, J.D., Unfortunately, America's coming too. Yeah, I know. I was going to say, though, at least you guys, like, I, I would hope that it's not a situation where they make you guys share a room, you know? <laughs> because I would hate to share a hotel room with Merrick and have him, you know, right as you're trying to go to bed. He's like, Elliot, what do you think happens when we die? You know, like, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't need that in my life. You know, that's a really good point, J.D. Some of the existential questions really come out of nowhere. Yeah. The other thing, too, is, you know, we're very, we're, we're very different uh livers like mm -hmm. he's he's in great shape i would say my shape is improving but it's not on merrick level um i like a good beer or scotch mm -hmm. once in a while he doesn't drink uh i like a good steak he eats lettuce yeah um you know <laughs> i mean i mean god only knows like you know what he does in the privacy of his own home um, but, uh, yeah, uh, sharing a room with Merrick, it would be like, uh, I don't know, like it, it, it's, it's worse than the odd couple. The odd couple wouldn't even do it justice. I, I like how the whole setup here was just, who would you rather hang out with? <laughs> you know, come on down to this. Cause you're going to get a free Molson Canadian tall can. You get to eat some pizza and there's going to be some NHL alumni there at these events. It's going to be great. Again, I, I have no doubt in my mind that. There's not even any point to me promoting this because I think that I looked at three of the seven stops and three of them are already sold out. Um, so yeah, it's going to end up happening. But yeah, you can go have a 
a beer and a scotch with Elliot Freeman over a steak, or mm-hmm. you can eat some lettuce and talk to Merrick about um, yoga. Uh, one of those two things. That's, those, those two things are on the table for you. So I set up today with talking about Kyle Dubas because it does feel like yeah. he's the story around the Leafs right now. Rasmus Sandin kind of being pretty secondary, but I guess he relates to that, right? Because what? let's just start with this, plain and simple and kind of um, vague. What do you think yep. is the nature of the relationship right now between Dubas Shanahan and MLSE? Well, first of all, let me, you mentioned Sandine. Mm-hmm. Knowing I was coming on this morning, I just checked to make sure there was no chance yeah. Sandine signed overnight, and I'm told that did not happen. So let's get the we'll, we'll get the news out of the way. You know what, JD? I, I don't I I don't see it as any like I, I think there's people out there listening to this right now who completely understand this dynamic as it is for, for what it is. It's that you're an, you're an employee who's on a one-year deal, and it's a show-me deal. It's a show-me contract. This is a results-based business, just like uh, a lot of us work in results-based businesses. Us in the media, J.D., we work in results-based businesses. If the ratings aren't good or our metrics of our work aren't good, then we lose our jobs. And, you know, Kyle Dubas has built a team that can consistently get to the playoffs, which is no small thing in the NHL, particularly in the history of the Toronto Maple Leafs. But, but you got to win. You got to do something. And to this point, they have not done that. And, you know, I, I think the Toronto Maple Leafs have made it very clear that until we see that, there's no guarantees. And I think any, any single one of us, if we were in that position, we would understand that we are on notice. And I think he knows that too. I mean, it's, it's obvious. They've told him that. It doesn't mean the working relationship has to change. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that um, he can't be the general manager past this year. But I think we all reach points in our lives where in our jobs, we are on notice. And that's what's going on this year. Yeah. And and I have no doubt that Dubas has the intelligence to be able to understand that. Although a lot of times guys that are in these highly competitive jobs there, and I think that extends to media as well, where you can have a chip on your shoulder if someone doesn't show faith in you and it can cause you to be a little bit outside of yourself. So if I was a Leafs fan, that would, I guess, be my one concern. But your understanding is that there, like, as far as you understand it, there is no contentiousness between any of these parties today. It's not, I, I wouldn't say there's no, I, I think you frame it very well there. Like, like, I've been in the last year of my contract before. And I've been told, wait and see. Right. And my reaction to that is fine. But that's good for me, too. Yes. And... And, and and the thing is, like, look, Kyle Dubas, he's not going to do stupid stuff just to be selfish. Like, it's just, it, it's not the way he's wired, and it's not what he's going to do. Because the thing is, like, let's just say for argument's sake, the Maple Leafs decide that he's not the guy. Well, he's going to want to go be a GM somewhere else. And if he makes a stupid trade that sits that sits on his resume forever, that doesn't help him. So number one, he's not really wired to do that for no reason. And number two, it doesn't benefit him 
to do that. And I think sometimes people forget that. I think the other thing is, is that the way Dubis and anybody else in this situation has to look at this, J.D., is if you have a good year and the Maple Leafs break through, now you're in a better position to negotiate with them or any, everyone else. And I think that's the way he's going to look at it. He's going to simply say, okay, you have told me, and I have to say I was a little bit surprised mm -hmm. that he mentioned this yesterday about Shanahan telling him that there would be no, there would be no contract extension coming. But the way he looks at it is, like, look, he wants to win in Toronto. He wants to be the GM of the Toronto Maple Leafs. But he also knows if he has a good year, then it's not just the Maple Leafs who are going to be beating down the store. Yes. It's going to be other teams too. And that's the way you have to treat it. I think I should explain too. I think, J.D., there's another dynamic at play here. Okay. And, and that is, um, like, I also think ever since the Babcock contract, MLSE has kind of changed the way it does business a bit. Um, I don't think they liked how much money they paid out to Babcock for not coaching. And I think that has been a factor in a lot of their other negotiations. Hmm. That's really interesting because usually what people will say to you when they hope for a Dubas extension because they, they fear the lame duck status, right? It's mm -hmm. that, well, just give them a, you know, a little two-year extension, like the thing that they did for Sheldon Keefe. Just, just throw a little thing on well, the what Dubis, What if Dubas says no to that's, that? And, but that's why I'm so glad that you brought up the other side of it, which is what happens if the Leafs actually extend beyond the first round, get in the second round? Like, they go on a run this year. People should entertain yep. the possibility of this and what that means for Kyle Dubas. And that's why I asked you about, like, the nature of the relationship is because this can work both ways. I think that... One, you could be looking at it and saying, as a Leaf fan, Dubas would rather not be anywhere else. But uh, we forget sometimes how we got here, right? Dubas was, yeah. it was Colorado that was the team that was interested in bringing in Kyle yeah. as their general manager. And so That's they had correct. to fast track him as general manager and they ended up giving him more leverage. What kind of leverage will he have if this team ends up going on a run? Because all of a sudden he gets to play the card of, well, now my teams have actually won in the postseason. It was the only thing that we hadn't done. Maybe it's not a Stanley Cup, but maybe it's a couple of rounds. Um, mm -hmm. That would be making the playoffs every single year under Dubas. That would be having the franchise record in points. That would be getting every single one of their stars under contract. You can hate the numbers however you want them. He never panicked. He never moved off of any of these guys. There's, mm -hmm. there's a lot that he can point to on his resume and say, who has been better than me here um, it, during the salary cap era? Like, who's even been close? You can, like, are you going to say, Lou? Well, the, the tenure wasn't very long. I, I just look at this and say, Dubas has a lot more leverage if this ends up going well. And I would wonder if, like, that, like we, like we started off saying, what the relationship is to the, met, to the point of, is this an automatic that if things go well, he's going to be back? I, I think that's a great question. Like, J.D., to me it comes down to a lot of ways is do you believe in yourself and what you've done or not? He seems and like the kind of guy I, who does. Yeah, I agree with you. I, 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 do, I, I do think the same way. Um, and, and the other thing, too, is it's like – and there, there's a key thing you mentioned there. Like, this is not a team that was used to making the playoffs a lot in the last 20 years. And – he get his teams have gotten there and look, I'm look, they, they haven't won. And like I said, this is a results oriented business and not only have they not won, but they've lost in for their fan base, incredibly heartbreaking ways. And I, I think that 
I, so I think that you sit there and you say, do I believe that one of these times they're going to get it right? Or do I just believe that it can't happen? And I think he's going to go from column A. So the other side of this, though, because I think then what we're getting at here is that Dubas's future from his standpoint could be unclear because there are a lot of different things that can happen between and then and now. I think that if you're a Leafs fan, though, and you're looking at yep. this through the lens of what Toronto is asking of him, right, where they're saying, hey, this is the show me year. We want to evaluate you on the full term that this has been to a far lesser degree done before where it was last year. I don't think that it was actually Dubas that dubbed it this. I think it was someone in the media and then they, he ended up kind of echoing the sentiment. Remember the last dance thing? Yeah. Um, he called it the last dance. It was viewed as an all in year when they lost to Montreal. There was a lot of pressure on the front office. The other one is just simply, is this maybe potentially just optics where Everyone's looking at this and saying, hey, we're not re-upping you on a deal because this is not the right time to do this. But what is the actual measure of success where MLSE is going to look at this or Brendan Shanahan is going to take this and say, yeah, if they finish first in the standings again this year, is it outside the realm of possibility they lose in the first round and he gets another deal? I, I would have to see how that happens. Like, 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 like the thing is, like, I guess it's possible, JD, but how does that go? Like, how does the team look in the regular season and how it'll play? Like, I don't like hypotheticals like that. Yeah. Like, I, like I think, like, I think here all options are on the table, right? But I have to see how it would unfold to actually figure out what I would answer to that. Okay. You know, the, Let me rephrase the thing, it like, then. Like, okay. Yeah. How, how, what do you think the measure of success needs to be? for MLSC to come back to the table and say, yes, we're, we're, we're going to try to run this extension. Like, is it just a round? Is it more than that? Like, I, I think, yeah. I think it's at least a round. Yeah. Right? You, you have to be able to say you have some tangible item of success. Um, look, like, you know, one of the things that I really believe in the NHL is if you look at a lot of teams who've won the Stanley Cup in recent years, Washington in 2018 would be a perfect example. Tampa Bay, the two years, um, you know, Colorado last year, you know, those are teams that their management stuck with their group. They stuck with their group through playoff disappointment. How many of us thought Tampa Bay should blow it up after they lost to Columbus? And eventually they, they got there. And I think there is reason for Toronto to think that that could happen here. I, I am a little surprised that he didn't try to make a bigger deal in the offseason. Like the one thing that I really think that Toronto doesn't have is like that Stanley Cup final last year between Tampa and Colorado. That was one of the best Stanley Cup finals I've ever seen. Mm -hmm. And the reason was there was not a single passenger on those rosters. Like there were 50 guys who played in that Stanley Cup final and every single one of them would have run through a wall to win that series. It was uh, the one of the fiercest playoff series I've ever seen in any sport. And I was watching that series saying, the commitment you need to win, it's incredible from these two teams. And I just don't think Toronto's at that level yet. Mm -hmm. I don't think, if you watch the Maple Leafs in the playoffs, they, as a group, they, are not, they were not at the level that Tampa and Colorado had. And I think, that, I, I think that as much as anything else, and part of that is individuals, but part of that is your group, 
I think that's what Toronto doesn't have yet. And that's the question. How do you build that? How do you build that? Because both those teams, whatever it is, J.D., those two teams had it. Yeah, see, this has always been my um, underrated issue with the own rental thing is it's fine to say we're comfortable going into an offseason and not paying our guys. But when you have it over and over and over again, I would imagine that a lot of those players feel a extra sense of we are just replaceable and temporary and cogs around the stars. And, and I'm not saying that most NHL players don't understand the hierarchy of the, of the business and of stars versus middle tier guys and guys that are on PTOs or coming in on veteran minimums. Some guys want the comforts of being home, whatever. But there has just always been this sort of disposable feeling around a lot of the players on the Toronto Maple Leafs. So the past couple seasons around the stars, you don't feel that in terms of just, hey, Zach Hyman, you're gone. Jack Campbell, you're gone. And yeah, some of these guys were tendered contract offers, but there's been a lot of guys that have left town for nothing. And I think about someone like an Alex Kerfoot this year. Like, how do you feel about your future here? How do you feel? Yeah, just there are certain guys that... I wonder what your commitment level is when you know you're just fitting in around that core. Well, you know, look, here's the thing, JD. Like, I think we all have to know what our roles are, mm-hmm. right? And on the Toronto Maple Police, look, like, but like, there are certain people who are bigger stars than others. Um, but that doesn't mean you're not important, mm-hmm. right? Like, as much as it pains me to admit this, when I sit next to Kevin Bieksa on the Hockey Night in Canada panel, I know who the biggest star is. It's Kevin. No, that's (laughs) nice of you to say. (laughs) But it's Kevin. Okay. Okay? So you say. So, but the thing is, like, but, like, I understand that. Like, I I recognize that. Mm -hmm. And it's my job to make him to make it as fun and make and make him look as good as possible and and do my role next to him right and i'm i get that like like I, i'm good with that i think like 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 i i just understand like again you watch those two teams last year in the final mm-hmm. every like that doesn't mean that so like okay so let's just say for example that um okay uh Alex Newhook is not as big a star as Nathan McKinnon, okay? He doesn't get the 1C role that Nathan McKinnon has. Does that mean that Alex Newhook is not important? Does that not mean that when he's on the ice, they they need him to perform to the best that he can, and he has to give them every ounce he's got? Like, I've always felt that way. I, like, like when, when, you know, working with Ron or, or working with Cassie or working with uh, Don, like I knew I wasn't the biggest star, but it doesn't mean that I don't have to do something to make, try to make the show better. Yeah. I've never understood that. Like maybe you're not the biggest star. Maybe you don't get the, the best, the, the most minutes, but like you mentioned Kerfoot, it doesn't mean it's not important when Kerfoot's on the ice. Like, I, I know there's a lot of rumors around Kerf, Kerfoot and things like that. I think the Maple Leafs consider Kerfoot a very valuable player. Mm-hmm. And I've also heard that they also really like Kerfoot because apparently he's incredibly low maintenance. And um, so, like, when I, when I think about things like that, I look at a person like that and say, that person's valuable. They may not score as much as Austin Matthews. They may not make as much as Austin Matthews. 
but everyone's valuable. And I think good teams and good organizations, they're good at making sure everybody realizes that. And if somebody can't get past that, well, then you're not going to win with them anyway. Yeah. And, and I agree with everything that you just said. I think it's more when I'm talking about being disposable. It's not that you're not revered in your role or respected or believe that you can have an impact. In fact, I think that Toronto, you end up getting a lot of times more emphasis on that because media cares deeply about who's on the fourth line, right? Those become household yeah, names. Oh yeah. But yes. he, here, what I, I guess I mean more by that is, you know, you look at Colorado's run to the cup and some guys need some contract extensions. And of course, not everyone can get done because it's a hard cap league. But you just look at the Toronto Maple Leafs and every year it's, if you are below that top tier of player, you're gone. And mm-hmm. that's just the way it's been here. And I always wonder about guys, like we, we said it, when you're that, you know, final year of your contract, you start to think about, hey, what is beyond me? I think most athletes are better at staying in the moment than a guy like I would be. Um, there's a mental fortitude there to be able to stay locked in. There's a demanding schedule, demanding fit, like on your body, all these different things. But I just, I have wondered at times, so it's two, it's two things. One, you don't trade guys and bring back younger talent. And you've seen that there hasn't been a lot of young guys that have been hits around this, uh, around this core. And two yeah. is you got to wonder about, yes, some of the investment when you're thinking long-term in your quiet moments and those existential moments when you're sitting there in the hotel, like we're talking about at night and you're thinking about your future if you really do think it's realistic being with the Toronto Maple Leafs and kind of what the trickle-down effect is that of that. Okay, so I do want to move to... You know what, you know what J.D.? Yeah. You know what I think the trickle-down... If you have a big year on a stage like Toronto... You're going to get money somewhere. You're going to get paid. Yeah. Oh, absolutely, you're going to get paid. Yeah. I, I just always wonder, like, it's like, yeah, you got a family, you got to uproot, you got to change, you know, you got to go through free agency... I don't know. Just it's always something that I've wondered about. What exactly? I, I thought I, the Chara said it. Chara said it really well the other day. He's mm-hmm. like, I could still play, but it finally reaches a point where you say it's enough. I think yeah. that's the thing. You've got to like the rewards are high. You, you can your family like your family might have to move absolutely, but fin- but there are high financial awards, and because your hockey career can be done when you're in your 30s, although you want to play as long as you can. You know, you have that – you miss things. Like, I'm not even going to deny that. But there are – like like any job, there's pluses and there are minuses. But I think the rewards of being a great supporting player in a place like Toronto are rewards that I would like a chance at if I was a player. Yeah, if you're great at it, you have a career here for the rest of your life. You know, like you're marketable here for the rest of your life. Okay, so I want to do a rapid fire from some things to close here. I'll do my very right. best. So Matthews says he loves it here. Um, do you have any feeling as to what his next contract is going to look like? I, I have said this for a while. I think he's signing in Toronto as long as the team's team does not go off the rails. If, if things go off the rails, all bets are off. Other than that, I think he's signing in Toronto. I think it's a big number. Um, uh, but I, I, one thing I'm not sure about is term. Yeah. I, I, I like, I'm not sure that like an eight year deal for him makes sense. So I'm not convinced. I'm not convinced on the term, but I think he stays for a big number. um, As long as the team doesn't go off the rails. It sure seems like if you, if Vegas put the number at uh, five and a half years, that the under would have to be, have a lot of juice. I I would think about it. Yeah, I I would JD. Yeah. Yeah, that's, 
Like I know we like to wager. I, yeah, that might, that would do. be something I'd consider. I think yep. you're more successful than I am. But also sometimes you just have to, you have to like, just assume that the silent person is doing really well. Um, Yes. Does the Timothy Lilligren announcement of being out six weeks change anything in terms of the dynamics of the Sandine uh, negotiation? Well, I think what the Maple Leafs can say is they're going to have to move bodies around and that might benefit him. So yes. Does it, does it convince Sandine? I'm not sure yet, but the Maple Leafs can definitely pitch the opportunity to him more. Yes. If Sandine re-signs, is Justin Hall the first domino to go? And if so, what is his market? Look, like they, they, they had Hall on the market last year. It didn't happen. So either the market isn't that strong or the Maple Leafs are asking too much. It's one or the other, right? <laughs> the other thing, too, is, you know, like, they, you know, they, they, they need cap room. So they, they, obviously it's something they would consider. The one thing I do think is, look, they're already, they've already got two injuries if you include Engvall and the season hasn't started yet. They all always worry about injuries, but, you know, they've had Hall on the market for a while. Uh, I know you said on the, I think it was the latest episode of 32 Thoughts when you were talking about Rasmus Sandin that they, they really don't want to trade him. They want to keep this guy. If they keep him, That's wh- true. If they keep him, where do you think he plays? That's a great question. I mean, he's going to be a bit behind the eight ball when he starts. I mean, play determines, you know, you, you have to get into camp and you've got to play and that will determine where, where you play. Like the, the one thing I really think JD is if you look at their defensive depth chart, who signed in two years, mm-hmm. Riley. Yeah. Like, like there, there's an opportunity for, and that's why they don't want to trade Lilligren. And that's why they don't want to trade Sandine because nobody signed. And so the, you know, it's a tough one to answer right now because he's not here. But in the long run, they, they hope he's a top 4D. If you gave the truth serum to the Toronto Maple Leafs front office, what would they say about Nick Robertson and his chances of playing for this team this year? I really hope he knocks our socks off. Mm. Yeah, because um, the buzz seems to be quiet for a guy that had a lot of buzz a year ago. You know what? You, I mean, at the end of the day, you got to... You got like when you're a young player, especially on a roster like this, you gotta you gotta blow the door off. You gotta have a great camp. The other thing too, I, I one thing I do know about Robertson is I, I didn't watch him a lot last year, but I heard he took some different roles like penalty killing and things like that. I know they were really happy about that, but if you're Robertson, you can't have a meh camp. Mm-hmm. You've got to come and you've got to get noticed. Is there a player outside of Matthew Nyes that you have heard, a younger player uh, who would be on a rookie deal, that this organization is particularly excited about right now? The Finns. Mm. They like those guys. Yeah. Um, last one. And this one you're going to hate. Okay. Do you think that this team has interest in Patrick Kane? Should he become available? I think you'd be insane not to. Mm. It's just a matter of the cost. Um, and you know, like Patrick Kane, most of his salary is paid. I know that the teams that have talked to Chicago about him, or at least talked to, I shouldn't even say that. I know the teams that are interested will do a double, are trying to do double retention. Like he gets traded to Arizona, for example, and then Toronto. So his cap Mm -hmm. hit is, is low. Um, 
I, I, I absolutely like, why wouldn't they be interested in him? It's just a matter of price. I love it. Uh, Elliot Freeman, again, uh, you've been on the road. You're going back on the road. You can go to 32tour.com, seven stops um, all over Ontario. You're just, yeah, wheels up on the bus or wheels down on the bus, whatever <laughs> the, that works. We'll call it the, the Merrick Cruiser. Yeah, again. Instead of the, Ma- the Merrick Cruiser. <laughs> you got to get sponsored right. headphones. No, no, no alcohol, no yeah. meat. Yeah. Nothing. It, we'll call it the No Fun Mobile. Yeah. yeah I, like I said, you should be able to easily get – you remember those NFL commercials? I think it was Beats. It would be like Richard Sherman would be walking into the tunnel, and it would be all the people going like, Richard Sherman, you stink. And then he put the headphones on, and it would block out all the noise. You could do one of those commercials just with Merrick. You getting on the bus, and he's like, today, I'm going to have lettuce. And you just put the headphones on, and you just go to sleep. And it's like Elliot Friedman uses them as a bus drives away. Just saying, Beats. Uh, you could do a lot worse. Uh, Elliot Friedman, 32 Thoughts. Thanks so much for making time today, man. I appreciate it. My pleasure, J.D. Have a great year. You too, man. Uh, Elliot Friedman, um, the best of the best. And yeah. I do think he's the biggest star on the panel, right? Like, I want to hear what Elias say. Until Kevin BX comes on the show, until he shows the guts to come on here, Elias number one top dog. With that, it's time for action. Brought to you by DraftKings. An, aspe- an official, and not an official, it's just, it's official. They're an official sports betting partner of the NFL, and why wouldn't you want to be with an official one? Um, Thursday Night Football, Browns, Steelers, mmm... I need action to spice this one up because I'm not particularly interested in Jacoby Brissett, Mr. Biscay. Although I, I got to tell you guys, Pete Walker, Joe Bosch, that I saw a stat yesterday that no offense has been more successful in turning drives into points. The top three offenses in football drives to points. Chiefs, Bills, the Browns. Browns, the Brownies. They're scoring. You saw my face when you said that. Yeah, the Brownies are getting it done. Jacoby Brissett and the two running backs, Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb, they're they're getting it done. So um, I'll start with you, uh, Tupac Pete. Um, What do you got today? What are you looking at tonight with a line that is on DraftKings right now? I think it's – and just had it in front of me now. I have props. I think it's uh, Browns minus four and a half. JD, I'm plus money Pete today. Plus yeah. money Pete. Plus money Pete. I like that a lot more. Yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah, it's pretty good. See, that's better than Sweaty Pete. Yeah. Way better yeah, than Sweaty way Pete. Way better than Sweaty Pete. Plus money Pete. See, There's did you, potential there. Did you workshop this before you came on today? I did not. Okay, I good. So you're just going yeah. raw. Yeah. All right. Well, since 1950, JD, nearly 200 QBs have started 50-plus games in the NFL. Only one of those QBs has never thrown a pick six in their career. That QB, Mitch Trubisky. Hard to believe. Mm. Okay. I find it hard to believe. So I'm thinking he's due tonight. I'm taking Browns, defense, <laughs> special teams, anytime TD at okay. plus 600 on DraftKings. Got to tell you, love this one. Absolutely love this one. Short week, maybe makes a mistake. Mm-hmm. Maybe he gets a little too aggressive because he's trying to keep his job. Lights are too bright. Yeah, Browns D, very, very legit. Loves a game against the Steelers. Kind of like it. What do you got, Joe Bosch? I, I must say, that's probably the most creative pick that's that we've a, had a, this week. It's a, it's a very creative pick. It's that, very thanks, far. Le, my, my pick is not so creative. My pick is also not so creative. It's Kareem Hunt over 43 and a half rushing yards. Mm. He hit the over in week one and two. Averages just under four and a half yards a carry, and he gets the ball double digit times a game under Kevin Stefanski. Those are his career averages, even with Nick Chubb in the lineup. So Kareem Hunt, he's running tonight. I, all of us are staying away from the line and the total. Because this to me is just a weird, weird. game. This it's is very just, weird. I, I do actually like the Browns. I liked what I saw. I, I want to see them be able to protect the lead. 
the way that they blew it against the Jets. I like the Kareem Hunt one because he's that UFA. And if we're talking, like, if the theme of today's show is what does it mean to be in your final year of a contract, it's that maybe you start looking out for yourself a little bit more. And I think that's been going on with Kareem Hunt. Big reason why they lost that football game. Kareem Hunt twice going to the sidelines, failing to stay in bounds around the two-minute warning. Boom, boom. Two times where he stopped the clock for the Jets. Guess what? They end up using that time to, to get back in the ballgame. I'm going with Deontay Johnson and his overprop. Um, we're going to stick with what's been working for me. Yeah, 54 and a half yards. Seems really low. He's one of the only guys that Trubisky seems to have somewhat of a connection with. Now, granted, he has gone over this number both times, but he's only gone over that number by a yard the first time and then two yards the second time. So not exactly a glowing endorsement. This is going to be, if I was Sweaty Pete, I, I would be saying that you might be in a sweat for this one, but he's got 13 receptions. He's getting a ton of targets. He's the only guy that seems to have something going on with Mitch Trubisky as far as you can say that. So I'm going to go with Deontay Johnson over 53 and a half yards. Nice. I, I did want to ask you a question, JD. Yeah. Do you think Deontay or anybody makes a nicer catch than he did last week? The the one hand up in the mm-hmm. air, has to turn around, catch the ball, feed him bounds. The thing is, is that you have to have a quarterback like Mitch Trubisky who throws the ball way behind you in order to execute some of these throws. Or that, is, that, these, that is very true. So I will say for right now, no. Um, but I, here's my guess. Brown's going to be leading. He's going to have to chuck the rock. He's going to throw to Deontay that he trusts him and that this might be the last week uh, we see Mitch Trubisky. The reasons why I discuss with our next guest, 2011 rush leader, Maurice Jones drew. That was time for action brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Maurice Jones drew next. Sportsnet 590, the fan. Pocket Hercules. Maurice Jones Drew, analyst for NFL Network, three time All Pro, no big deal, 2011 rushing leader. What's up, buddy? How are we doing? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm, I'm great, man. Football's back. <laughs> I can't complain. You know, I'm down a ton of money. Um, like, I, I think I've, I don't think I've won a bet this year. Like, I really don't. I, I've missed just about everything. But other than that, I'm thrilled. I, there's no better way for me to spend my cash, honestly. I think this is actually the best way for me to do it. Yeah, no, I mean, the last couple of weeks have been pretty wild. Uh, yeah. People have been saying, like, football's the best soap opera there is. And, I mean, you're seeing it week after week with comebacks and teams is getting blown out and mm-hmm. all type of stuff. So it, it, it's it's really exciting to kind of see uh, football being back, but also the way some teams are playing is it, real fun, too. Okay, so uh, this is a great place to start, actually, with these comebacks, because I, I do want to preview a little bit of Thursday Night Football with you, you know, but your thoughts on the Steelers and the Browns. Um, definitely touch on the Buffalo Bills, but I, I saw LaDainian Tomlinson yesterday. He was talking about on with Pat McAfee about how he's annoyed at the fact that there are no more one-show RBs, is the way that he put it. And I thought two things that I wanted to talk to you about with this is, like, one, does it irk you as well? But two, is that, like, do you think it's good for football? Because all these these comebacks are exciting, but I couldn't help but think to myself, you know, in preparing for this interview with you, some of these games don't happen this way if running backs, like, I'm thinking about Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. Kareem Hunt's a, you know, unrestricted free agent. He goes out of bounds twice. I'm thinking, who am I to say don't get your statistics? You're an unrestricted free agent a year from now. Nick Chubb, similar thing. Like, you want to be able to punch it into the end zone, make sure that you can get paid as much as possible. Even that situation, you know, is not a one-show running back, despite both of those guys being great. Do you think it's good for football? And do you think that that's what we're seeing here with a lot of these comebacks, is just that, like, no teams can really run the ball? No, I, I think the biggest thing with these comebacks are it's not that they, they, they can't run the football, it's that they don't. Don't, yeah. Right? The Cleveland Browns, they run the football 
Um, and to be honest with you, what Nick Chubb did wasn't wrong, right? There, there are certain times and situations that you do certain things. And some people may say, well, oh, you, you run out of bounds. Like, no, they went up two touchdowns with a minute and 55 seconds left. You close the game out by stopping them on defense, getting the ball back, and taking knees. That's what you're supposed to do. You're up two scores. You don't give up a, 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 a bomb that goes quickly, and then you mess up on special teams. Then they go down again on your defense, where you got guys that are making over $100 million. You got a $100 million corner, $100 million defensive end. You got free agent, uh, highly paid safeties, like high draft picks. That wasn't, you only do that when you don't have those type of pieces. So, I like to me what Nick Chubb did wasn't wrong. You're supposed to do make that move, and I, I've 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 backed him in that. I don't think necessarily the the and I know what LT is talking about just the workhorse back. Mm-hmm. The league isn't that anymore, and and that's why you're going to see all these. It's just like college where teams these it's more about these OCs trying to get head jobs and guys trying to um, boost up their resumes with the way they score points and the way they play and this high flying and this young genius. That's why these teams are losing games, to be honest, right? Like, it's just like, if you look at the Arizona Cardinals, for example, in that comeback, the Raiders could have easily just ran the ball out. But they didn't. They started throwing the ball. They gave Arizona that one chance. They took it, and then the offense didn't have the ball for 30 minutes. Mm -hmm. 30 minutes they didn't have the ball. And so, and that's 30 actual minutes, like not uh, 30 minutes on the clock, but 30 actual minutes. But they're on the sidelines watching the game. And so that is on both the special teams and the offenses uh, part because they didn't do anything when they got the ball back. And so for me, it's like as an OC, you have to have an element of a running game. You have to have an element, uh, uh, an ability to try to run and run consistently. You know, I know it's not the prettiest thing to do. It's not the most effective thing to do. Um, but you should. And this is the other part. If you look at the Cleveland Browns, if you look at the Cleveland Browns and what transpired throughout, Jacoby Brissett hadn't played the best game. And so you want to go up two scores so that you give your defense a cushion uh, to be able to make a mistake possibly and you still have a lead. The problem was they made a mistake, the, the special teams made a mistake, and then the offense never got the ball back. So I, I'm, I understand what LT is doing, but it's not necessarily the running back position. It's the OCs that are doing this thing right now. Yeah, I love what you said about college ball right now, too, because that's got me thinking in a whole other direction about, you know, the guys that want to be those offensive next guy, right? That that is such a quick path in the NFL and how that benefits kids and the col- the state of the college game in general. But I'll, st- I'll stick with the NFL just in this, with the, the show back thing, you know, the one show back. I, I think every most football fans, I think, are getting smarter, right? Like you would agree that a lot of people, there's just a ton of access to information with gambling and with fantasy football that more people get invested in it. They try to learn a little bit more. Like we can understand why it's these rotations. But this is where I'm at kind of with it. Is it good for the game thing is I, I love diversity in sport, right? Like where there's certain teams that do things differently. It's been my big kind of bugaboo with, uh, with the NBA lately is like everybody wants to shoot corner threes or get to the free throw line. Like it's like it's two things, right? The mid range has been gone. And with football, I'm looking right. at it right now and saying, man, I, I did become a football fan because of Barry Sanders. Like, that's what drew me to the sport. Like, that that was it for me. Like, that was me as a little kid pretending to be a running back in my living room 
because I saw him do that. And, and I'm not saying that, you know, no kid can ever pretend to be a running back again, but it doesn't feel like that there are that many special guys out there, and not from a talent standpoint, but just from, like, a workload standpoint. And I, I know the NFL, like, it's a monolith, and they want it to be parody, and, like, they don't mind this, and offenses are going crazy, and it's a quarterback-driven league. I just I, I do at times wonder, you know, what is the product of having it just be where, you know, you really only care about your team's quarterback, and it doesn't have that same investment in your offense or in stars without having them be the way that it at least used to be what felt like five minutes ago. No, I, I think you're exactly right. The league is the league only cares about the QB. And to be honest with you, half the league's QBs aren't that good. Exactly. Um, and so, so you look at, let's take the Giants, for example. Saquon is their featured guy. They're 2-0. Mm-hmm. With, a, with a quarterback that is known throughout his time in the NFL to turn the ball over at a high rate, and he still turns it over at a high rate. Yet, they found a way to win with Saquon Barkley being their lead guy, right? And so sometimes if you have, you, sometimes you, you just don't, you know, say, oh, it's like we have this great QB, we're going to do this, this, and that. And, like, no, that doesn't, that doesn't always work. That doesn't always fit the scheme mm-hmm. of winning. That doesn't always fit the mold of winning. Now, having a great QB, the, the chances of you winning go up. Yeah, no question, right? Having Patrick Mahomes or Josh Allen or, or uh, Justin Herbert mm-hmm. or, you know, some of these other teams, yeah, it works. But look at the Denver Broncos. They got a great QB. Everybody like, loves Russell Wilson. Mm-hmm. That, he ain't I don't, playing I don't that well right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, you're, exactly. Like, you loved him in Seattle. Yeah. But now you're seeing, now you're seeing a different version of him that, that I've seen for the last couple of years, mm-hmm. where he's not actually the best. He's not playing up to the up all the fame that he gets, mm-hmm. right? And so, what do you do when your quarterback isn't as good as you thought he was after you paid him two hundred forty-five million dollars? Mm-hmm. How do you fix that, right? And so you'll see Denver struggle. You'll see a lot of these teams struggle because they put too much onus on their QB and not on the pieces around them. And and, and and in every situation, and I'll, I'll I'll go to my grave saying this: a quarterback is only good as the pieces that he has around him. Mm-hmm. You look at you look at look at the Miami Dolphins. Tua was dead in the water last year. Now all of a sudden, he threw six TDs and they came back and beat Baltimore in Baltimore because he has Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddle, Gasecki, Chase Edmonds running. But they like they built the offense around him. And now you can see actually what he can do. Mm-hmm. And so, so to me, we can talk about how great these quarterbacks are, and it's all about these quarterbacks, and that's what a lot of these execs and coaches think. But, but Miami is a prime example of putting weapons around a, a quarterback that may be average or a little bit above average, and then you can see how much he can grow it within it. Yeah, I, I just think that trying to build up stars is always good for every single league. And that the NFL has gotten so big that it almost feels like they look at it as, you know what, we, we don't necessarily need this. That teams look at it like very much um, my second NBA reference where teams just do the tanking move year over year where they're like, yeah, yeah, we'll just make sure that we accumulate picks for good players. Because it's the safest thing, right? Like no one's going to question you if you're designing an offense. Again, you know, you referenced Arizona. And Cliff Kingsbury just got that contract extension before, you know, what was ultimately a disaster last year. After what was ultimately a disaster last year, they lock him into a bunch of years. And it's like, why? Because you have a guy who has a philosophy around a passing attack. And if you're Arizona, you're saying this is where the league is going. This is what we're doing. And we're just going to stick with this method and not try anything new. So anyway, um, yeah, it's bothered me for a little while. And I just I hope that we can kind of get back to a point where, yeah, things start to just be a little bit more like there are teams 
that try and do things differently instead of everybody trying to be the exact same thing. So um, with that being said, Steelers, um, this game, they have averaged 255 yards per game to start the season. Um, It's early. It's very, very early. But Mike Tomlin, if there's one thing about him that everybody knows is he, he wants to win. He is a winner. How, what do you think the threshold for him is as a competitor before he turns to the, another quarterback and he goes to the rookie, Kenny Pickett? Well, I think, I think they're on the verge of that now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Mitchell Trubisky, he's missed, he's missed a lot of throws. And the, and the thing is, if I'm going to see, if I want to see a guy miss throws, at least allow him to get better, right, with missing those throws. Meaning, if you're going to make these same mistakes over and over and over again, I'd rather have a rookie do it than a vet that I that we brought in that's been in this league five or six years. The other thing that Mr. Trubisky is not doing, he's not using his legs. That's one of his biggest attributes is his ability to run. Why is he not running more? Why is he not a running threat, right, to help move the chains and do certain things? So mm-hmm. he's just, right now, I think if I'm Mike Tomlin, granted, Maybe Kenny Pickett's not ready or he's getting close to being ready or you're feeling more comfortable with how he's practicing, right? Because as a, as a high school coach and as a youth football coach right now, practice is everything, right? And, I, and the league is the same way. Like, as a coach, you want to feel comfortable with guys picking up the blitz or guys making the correct read in practice so you know that they can do it in the game in a, in a high, you know, intense situation. Um, but if he's not doing that in practice, and if Kenny Pickett's not doing that in practice, then he's going to be a little nervous putting him in the game. But I think Kenny Pickett should have probably been the starter, right? You're going to lean on Najee Harris anyways, mm-hmm. right? You're going to go out there and make plays. And and, I, and, and maybe after this week, because you'll have a longer week if Trubisky doesn't play well, that they make the move, because then they get 10 days to really work with Kenny Pickett and have a great game plan for him. But, you know, for me, you, you should expect a lot more from Mitchell Trubisky, who has been in this league, was in Buffalo, was in Chicago, has been to the playoffs, has played well on occasion, but he just hasn't been consistent, and you're seeing that same person right now. Yeah, I, I like what you said, though, about having those extra days. And if, if I'm Mike Tomlin, I'm looking at this and saying, so wait, we got the Jets now on October 2nd? Yeah, let's let's have the short week, go to the vet, and then let's get our rookie ready for, for that next Sunday against New York at home. So, especially since Kenny Pickett, yeah, again, familiar with that stadium. So, we mentioned it. We talked a little bit about it. The Browns blow that game. It's horrific. Um, you know, I, I, I thought, yeah, Chubb goes in the end zone. You can blame him for it. I thought the Kareem Hunt ones where he kept going out of bounds before that were much worse. Like, I understand a guy punching it in, but that's just a bad loss on everybody, right? Like, and, and I do wonder for a team like that, if it creates a little bit of finger pointing or if it's really tough to get over early in a season, do you, do you see that as a hurdle for a Browns team that, you know, looked as though they were going to have a little bit of positive momentum after beating Baker starting two and O and then has a just collapse against the New York jets. Do those losses linger? No, they, they definitely do because let's just be honest. They're just trying to hold on until they get Deshaun Watson back week 11. And that one game, can be, you know, uh, a make or break of them making the playoffs. Um, and so if you, if you're, if you're the Cleveland Browns, this is the one thing I always want to tell people too, because I took a knee when we played the Jets in 2010 and going into that game, going into that game or into in that series, once we got going, uh, Jack Dario pulled me to the side and was like, listen, they're going to let you score. They're like, we, we want you to take a knee on the one yard line. I was like, all right, like if that's what it's going to help us win, that's what I'm going to do. 
Um, but there has to be, as a player, our minds don't work like that when we're in the game. Our mind is to work to do whatever we can to score a touchdown. That's, that's how we're wired, right? That's what you're practicing for. And so if a coach doesn't talk to you about getting out of that mindset and, and explaining to you what to do, i.e. Nick Chubb last year when he's playing the Houston Texans and he makes that long run, and they probably told him, like, hey, if you break this one, get down, right, or get out of bounds and we'll just, we'll just, we'll just fill it. Um, they didn't do it this time. And so I don't fault Nick Chubb for that. That's what a coach is that's what a coach is there for. That's literally the definition of a coach to prepare you for every situation possible and to give you a heads up before that situation uh, occurs. And so either no one told him or if they did tell him he just didn't do it. And so that's that's that you know I don't think it's the second one cuz Nick Chubb is a he's a um a big time team player. I just don't think that they told him what to do in that situation. Uh, and, and so it happens. Another situation that occurred, and I'll get back to the Browns, but mm-hmm. this is kind of what I'm talking about. The Rams are playing the Falcons. Mm-hmm. They go on, they already have a punt blocked. They go for it on, there's fourth down. They're like, look, we can, we can snap the ball to our punter or we can snap the ball to our returner and have him run around and waste time and take a safety and pretty much end the game. That was a uh, the backup quarterback gave Sean McVay that advice and told him about it right before it happened. Again, a guy that's in the game that's not in the game, but thinking like a coach, right? And so those when those situations occur and they and you have to be able to make the right call, you need guys around you that you trust. And so I think this is more the Brown situation is more on a coaching error than it is on a player error. And and to, to be completely honest, this this that one game against. Uh, the Jets is going to cost them for sure. It's going to cost them. They, they're either going to miss the playoffs by a game or they're going to be a seed lower than what they should have been. Yeah. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how they respond against the divisional rival in a game that, yeah, it feels very winnable for them. You know, Steelers are beat up. Um, you're not getting a lot from Trubisky. And, yeah, you've got an opportunity, again, on a short week to at least go 2-1 and one and erase it. But I, I do wonder, you know, how this is going to materialize if they end up being 1-2 and two after a very, very, very friendly schedule to start of the gate. Um, Maurice Jones-Drew, analyst for NFL Network, three-time All-Pro and 2011 rushing leader. Thanks so much for making time, man. Always a treat. No problem. No problem at all. See you soon. Another day where I'm going to thank everybody for listening to this podcast. The support has been incredible. Everybody that's left a five-star review, thank you. To those of you that are going to do that today, I appreciate it. Thank you. Please subscribe to the podcast and share it. Share the podcast.